Studio One at the worldwide headquarters of ESPN and from the ESPN studios at Pier 17 in the Seaport District of New York City, this is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and on Sirius XM Channel 80. For all the conversation about Bill Belichick, the Patriots, what they could do, what they should do, and what it means to be talking about the success over the last 25 years, there's a line none of us are really willing to cross when it comes to what could happen. But when I say none of us, it only takes one to create some fun takes. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. And of course, one thing we love to do on this show, Harry, is give a little love to some of our peers and react to some of their best of their best with a little bit of fun we like to talk call Good Take, Hot Take. Is it a good take? That's good. Great. Or a hot take? How hot? Red hot. Find out now with Fitz and Harry. All right, you know the drill. We'll play a take. We'll tell you if it's good or it's hot. And we start... With our buddy Kmart, Kimberly A. Martin, ESPN NFL reporter, was on Canty and Carlin, the spectacular show that comes on right after us every single day on ESPN Radio, and said this about Bill Belichick and what should happen if things don't get turned around this season. It's fair to have questions about about Bill Belichick. You give him some leeway because he's the greatest of all time, but I would think he's 19, what is he, 19 away from Don Shula? I think two years is fair. Like, if we don't see the Patriots pl- play a lot better and win more games than they won last year, like, the seat should be hot. It should be flaming hot coming into next year. I can't bring myself to say it, Harry! Mm. What do you think? If, Belich- if the things go off the rails for the Patriots this year, should Belichick be on the hot seat? It's a good take. Okay. I'm going to go with a good take, but I would say this. It's not in the sense that the New England Patriots would fire Bill Belichick. Um, I give them two years. If they don't make the playoffs this year, I think he'll have one more year. And then after that year, they wouldn't fire Bill Belichick, but they're probably, you know, hey, you might need to step down. You might want to step down. I think that's the way the New England Patriots will handle that situation because Bill does mean a lot to that organization. He brought six uh, six Super Bowls. I know he didn't do them by, him, by himself, but he was the leader of those teams. And his messaging was echoed throughout that team as well, on oh, those teams. I, I think you're right, and like it's an uncomfortably good take. Yep. Like I, I think any of us, and, and for anyone that's screaming at your radio, ah, I, I get it. Like, How can we ever say that Belichick can be on the hot seat? What have you I, done for I, me lately? I mean, at some point... Does Belichick need to be transitioned off the sideline into something else? It's like a gentler way to say that. Yep. I could see that happening if it continues to go off the rails. I just don't know. Like It would take Bill and Robert Kraft, the team owner, coming together and saying, all right, this isn't working. Let's do this as gracefully well, it don't as possible. Take, it don't take Bill. It take Robert damn Kraft. He the owner. Yeah, but I don't think Robert Kraft has the great foods to tell Bill Belichick anything. Like I think Robert Kraft walks in with his Kraft mac and cheese, which is a delicious delight <laughs> and the best mac and cheese in the world. And while he's eating it, he's just, nom, 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 nom. He's like, whatever you want, Bill. I don't think, I, like, I, I, I just don't see a world where he's like, Bill, you're fired. I just, I don't, I don't you know. You know what Bill's going to probably say to him if he says that? I like homemade macaroni and cheese anyway. <laughs> I thought you were going to go Velveeta. So, yeah, like we're good. We're still, we, and that's, I want to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. All right. Uh, Chris Canny of Canny and Carlin was on Canny and Carlin. It's amazing how that works. And he had actually a very smart, nuanced take. The question is, 
was it really good when it comes to Thursday night football flex scheduling? If your team is getting flexed and they're playing on Thursday night, then they're probably doing well. Going to these NFL games, being a season ticket holder is a freaking luxury. It is a luxury. It's not. Most Americans listen, a lot can't of afford people, to do. Most it's Americans, a luxury in that people people do not have. All, can I finish talking? If, most Americans can't afford to do that. And so what the NFL is doing is saying, you know what? We're going to cater to the masses and how they consume our product, which is at home, streaming, or watching on TV. All right, Harry. So <laughs> I, I, I love how contentious our, our you know, our, our brothers got. Can there. I finish talking? I mean, the thing of it is, I think it's a good take, and it changed my mind a little bit here in their conversation because – for me, I've said I think flexing it is a terrible idea. But his point is a valid one that we don't really care about the fans that are going to the game because there's, you know, 60, 70,000 of them. There's going to be 10, 12, 14 million people watching on TV. So if they get a better TV audience, why do they care about the 70,000 people that were inconvenienced? I, I think that's actually a fair point. So I think it's a good point in the argument. I still hate it, but I think that's a good point in the yeah, argument. Yeah, I think it's a good take in, in my eyes. Now, for, from a player safety standpoint, it might not be good, but the last thing I want to do, especially the last four games of the season, the last four weeks, is watch bad football on Thursday night football. I want to watch something that's going to be exciting, something that I'm going to be tuned into from start to finish, not something I'm going to watch probably the first five minutes and say, oh, hell, here we go again. Terrible game. Yeah, and turn I, it off. I want something exciting. So this is a great take in my eyes. It's not even a good take. I think it's a great take. Yeah, the only thing I'd say about when he talks about the broadest set of like, oh, my God, everybody that listens to it, I, I, or watches it. If they really cared about a huge audience, they wouldn't have buried that game on Amazon Prime anyway. But uh, yeah, I, I still think it's a good take. I agree. Uh, let's go to Richard Sherman, now former NFL quarter cornerback, was on the Richard Sherman podcast and said this about guaranteed contracts, specifically with Patrick Mahomes. What I, what pissed me off is when Kirk Cousins got his fully guaranteed deal a couple years ago, I thought all the quarterbacks from then on were going to be like, hey, you know, if it ain't guaranteed, I ain't taking it. Then Mahomes took that BS deal in just 10 years and wanted wanna, wanna it to look like half a million. Like, But if you get a half of that fully guaranteed, everybody's happier. Everybody goes, that says president. But when he didn't set it, then Josh Allen didn't set it. Now Lamar's trying to set it after Deshaun's already set it. And they're like, nah, nah, we ain't letting that go. Well, I, 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 don't, I think this is a bad take um, or a hot take. And you look at Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins' deal wasn't for a, a long duration of time like we see a Josh Allen, like we see um, these other quarterbacks. Also, Patrick Mahomes has $450 million, to the point to where Drake mentions it in a song. You don't see that every day. You don't see it every day. Also, I think Kirk Cousins' situation is different from you know these quarterbacks trying to sign a long-term deal as well. Also, I would never sit up here and say Patrick Mahomes should have did A, B, C, or D when Patrick Mahomes is out there winning multiple Super Bowls, balling out, and the team is able to do what they want to do with their roster, and he can, and he can continue winning over and over and over again. So I think this is a hot take. Yeah, I think it's a hot take too, and I think part of the reason it's hot is because it's not Lamar Jackson's job to worry about everybody else with his contract, just like it's not Patrick Mahomes' job to worry about everybody else with this contract. But most importantly... And I'm going to rant here for a second, Harry, but you know this better than everybody because you were in 
the NFL Players Association. You were part of the union. Richard Sherman, not long ago, was part of the union. If you really wanted to change towards guaranteed contracts, the union on the last collective bargaining agreement could have sat back. They could have said, absolutely, line in the sand. We will do nothing. We will strike whatever it takes to make all contracts fully guaranteed. They could have tried to do that. They didn't because, frankly, it impacts so few players that it's not worth everybody losing their livelihood, and the owners may never have given in. But to me, it's soft for Richard Sherman to have been part of a union that could have impacted this change while he was there, and then he turns around and looks at the main star of the NFL and says, well, you should have fixed it. Now, it, it, no, everything but, in the NFL is collectively bargained. But, he could have been a part of a collective bargaining process. But let me add this to process. it, though. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the National Football League. Even if he would have got guaranteed money, you know what the other owners would have told those other guys? You're not Patrick Mahomes. 100%. You're not Patrick Mahomes. We'll make you think we're going to give you what he got. You're not him. Yeah. So even if he did, you know, set that table, the other owners would have said, no, you're not Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, it, it's. I think it's a flawed argument from Richard Sherman from top to bottom. Uh, let's go to Jay Will. Jay Williams from Keyshawn. Jay Will and Max had a conversation this morning about who needs a championship more for their legacy, LeBron or KD? I get Kevin Durant having a chance to win a championship. LeBron James and the Lakers are just as live now. And think about the legacy that comes in here. If they were to win, hovering around ninth, 10th all year long, what that does for LeBron, I say the impact on the playoff race, considering the Lakers with LeBron and where they were, I, I think is more impactful than Kevin Durant. I agree. I think that's a good take. Coming into this season, I said it on first take last year, that I thought the Lakers would probably go to the first or second round and be done. And I think I said first round. You look at the noise this entire year over the Lakers. They're not going to make the tournament. They're at the bottom. They're going to be in a play-in. They're going to lose the first or second round. They go win a title? That's going to boost LeBron James's legacy. And I don't think there's many things that can boost his legacy right now because I think it's already set. You go win a title, and that will be the second one for the Lakers while he was with their team? Oh, my goodness. All right. That is a – that is I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying in principle. But coming up, I'm going to tell you why I don't think there's anything. For one reason, I don't think there's anything that can change LeBron's legacy. We'll talk about it next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. And Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. And we were just talking about Jay Will's conversation this morning on Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max. 
Which player would have a, a more meaningful impact to their legacy if they won a title? Would it be KD or LeBron? Getting some thoughts on that as we have that discussion. We're going to grow the wolf pack by one. Tim Bontemps, ESPN NBA reporter, joining us. Tim, thanks for the time, man. Appreciate you. So, in your mind, who would it be bigger for to win a title? KB, KD or LeBron? Uh, I don't know. I'm probably the wrong person to ask. I mean, I think uh, it would obviously be significant to both of them for different reasons. I mean, Kevin Durant winning one away from Golden State, winning a third one. Obviously, be a big deal. LeBron winning a fifth one, um, you know, tying Kobe Bryant, winning another one with the Lakers. Obviously, a big deal. I mean, I, I guess maybe the Lakers only because if they do somehow, you know, make everyone's hopes and dreams come true and make it to the finals and and win a uh, win a championship as the probably eighth or ninth seed, it would be a pretty wild and improbable thing to do. I, I guess maybe him, but. I, honestly, I, I think it'd be a pretty significant thing for both of them for a variety of reasons. So. Well, see, Tim, I know it's not a great answer, but uh, I don't, it's honest. I don't so I love the honesty. Tim. But Tim, see, I, I don't, I don't think it, it's a guessing thing when you look at coming into this season. How many, how many, so many people were down on the Lakers and saying that they couldn't do it, and they if they did make the playoffs, it was going to be an early exit. Then we've seen the adversity that they went through. Well, it's through still going to be an early exit, I would say. I mean, I, I, I know we, I know we're going out of our way to try to talk them into being a championship level team as the as a team that's been under five hundred for the better part of a calendar year or more at this point. But so yeah, again, to your point, if they're able to overcome that and make the finals and win a title, yeah, that would be a, a pretty big deal. But you know, I just think it'd be a pretty big deal if Kevin Durant won another title too. So I don't, uh, you know, it's it is it is what it is either way. It, it would have to be a huge deal. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about the MVP for for a minute. The straw poll is out, and the voters have it as a dead heat between Embiid and also Nikola Jokic. Where do you think this goes in terms of who wins the MVP this season? Well, A, I have no idea, and generally when I do this final poll, I know who's going to win. Like last year, people tried to argue that Giannis could still win or Joel Embiid could still win, and I knew the way that the poll laid out that Nicole Jokic was going to win. Same thing a couple years ago, same thing the year before that when Giannis Antetokounmpo won. Like, I have a pretty good sense when I do this poll and the final one, how it's going to go. And the fact that uh, it is a dead heat, to me, it's for the first time in probably at least since the Shaq and Steve Nash race in 2005, which Nash won by 34 points. Um, it, this is a race that we're truly not going to know the answer to until we see, you know, who gets the award sometime probably in the early part of the second round of the playoffs and the NBA announces it. Um, but what I will say is because I did this poll, I was going to do it right after the Philly Denver game on Monday night. I was going to watch and beat Jokic play and then ask everybody, obviously, when B didn't play, uh, I just started asking people, you know, basically during the game Monday night um, to get a head start on it. I do think the fact that it's essentially a draw after Embiid didn't play in that game and people were, you know, pretty wound up about that. I do think it's a slight lean in his direction, and he does have a lot of big, high-profile games here over the final week and a half to kind of lock this thing up. Um, but, look, I, I think it's very possible that uh, – you know, that Nikola Jokic wins a third in a row. I think there's a small chance that Giannis could still win. And I think this thing is probably largely going to come down to where people put these guys in second and third place on the ballot. It's going to be that close. You know, it's, it's, it's possible that 
Jokic or Embiid will win this award without having the most first place votes, which would probably be a fitting end given how, you know, intense and, you know, uh, inspired the debate has been about this award all season long. It's interesting when you mentioned Giannis's name to me because, Tim, let me oversimplify everything for a second. But the Bucks are in first in the East. They've had a great season, and Giannis feels like he does whatever he Not wants. Not just first in the East, Fitz. First in the league. I, best I, team in the league. I, I just feel like they're invisibly best in the league. Why? Why are they the best in the league? No, why are they invisible while they're the best in the league? Like, it just feels oh, like nobody's really paying attention to it. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think, look... The three best teams in the league are the three best are the three top teams in the East, right? And the Bucks are just I, I think the Bucks have just been efficiently dominant now for the past three months. And look, I mean Denver's been the best team in the West by a significant amount all season, right? And nobody's talking about them. And the reason why is because everybody's infatuated with this Western Conference play in picture, right? Because you've got you know, you've got Kevin Durant in theory, at least it tangentially in it. You've got Kawhi Leonard in it. You've got Steph Curry in it. You've obviously got LeBron James in it. Uh, you, you know, you've got the specter of Zion Williamson potentially coming back in it. You've got Luka Doncic and Kyrie in it, right? That's what the focus of everybody has been for the past six weeks is how this thing is going to play out. Are the Lakers going to make the playoffs? Are the Mavs going to make the playoffs? Are the Warriors going to make the playoffs? So that, that's sort of overshadowed everything. And to your point about Giannis in the Bucs, Look, I know we're all, I know people are saying, oh, you know, maybe the Lakers could win a title. Maybe the Lakers could win the West. Maybe the Suns could win the West. Maybe the Suns could win the, all these other teams. If Milwaukee's healthy, fits, they're going to win the title. They're the best team in the league by, uh, to me, a fairly significant amount at this point. And, you know, there, there's all this drama going on and all this excitement. And I think the playoffs are going to be super fun. But to your point, if you have watched the Bucks play over the last three months, I, I just don't really see how you can make an argument that if their main guys are out there on the court and playing in the playoffs, how they're not the pretty overwhelming favorite to win a second title in three years. Well, especially when you got guys like Drew Holiday going to get, you know, 51-piece wing dinner for the party and company <laughs> dropping it at ease from the point guard position. Mm. But you mentioned Diva, right? Um, there's a lot of pressure on Nikola Jokic. Or oh, I should ask you, how much mm-hmm. pressure is it on him to win an NBA title this season, especially if he becomes the back, to back, to back MVP uh, winner? I don't think there's pressure on Denver to win the title because I I don't objectively think they should. Right? Like I just said, Milwaukee is the best team in the league. They should win the title if they're healthy. And if if say Denver gets to the finals and plays Milwaukee. I'm not going to look at it and say it's some failure on their part if they don't beat a team that I think is clearly better than them. But, look, we just, we've talked for so long this season about how bad the West is, right, and how mediocre all these Western Conference teams are. And, you know, all these, you know, whether it's uh, Dallas or Golden State or the, La- or the Lakers or the Clippers or any, any of these teams, right, they're all hovered around 500. And Denver has been the best team in the conference by a country mile. They basically wrapped up the one seed three weeks ago, right? And they've just sort of been on cruise control since then. And if you combine that with the fact that this will be, as you put, potentially a historic thing if Nikola Jokic is going to be the three, you know, win MVP three years in a row, something only Larry Bird, Wilt Chamberlain, and Bill Russell have done, if you're going to be in that kind of air and you're playing in the weakest Western Conference that we've seen in at least a generation – and you're the Denver Nuggets who have a fantastic home court advantage and are 
you know, well over 30 wins at home this season. All of those things together, you should be able to win the Western Conference this year. And if you can't, if you lose in the second round, they somehow, let's say they somehow lose to the Lakers or one of these teams in the first round, then I think you've got to ask some pretty big questions about whether Jokic is a guy that can be good enough to lead a team to the finals and beyond, and whether this Denver group, as constituted, is good enough to get where they want to go or if they've got to make some significant changes. So to your, to your point about pressure, I think going into these playoffs, there is more pressure from a perception standpoint and from a league hierarchy standpoint on Nikola Jokic than any player in the league. Because to me, the fact that you're talking about the fact that people are giving as much credence to teams like the Lakers having a chance to win the title and these other teams, that is people saying they do not believe in the Denver Nuggets. And if you've got a guy as good as Jokic and a home court advantage as strong as Denver and to be the best team in the league as far as they are, um, to me, Denver, there's no excuse for Denver not to get out of the West. And if they don't, there's going to be um, – you know, there's going to be uh, some real reckoning coming for that franchise, for Jokic in particular, about where they go from here. Tim, always appreciate your expertise, my friend. Thanks so much for hanging out with us and making us smarter. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. That's Tim Bontemps, ESPN NBA reporter. Tune in to NBA Action tonight. The Sixers host the Mavs, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 7 p.m. Eastern on select ESPN radio stations and on Sirius XM Channel 80. That noise, that beautiful, beautiful noise can mean only one thing. Baseball season's here. And we already have an update for you. After hitting an AL record 62 home runs last season, Aaron Judge said, I shall pick up right where I left off, good sir, with a solo home run in his first at-bat of the season. Yankees lead 1-0. He's now on pace for 162 home runs. That, 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 that's almost a certain fact. Uh, just book it at this point, 162 home runs. We'll keep you uh, updated on all of the open day opening day action. Plus, coming up, I'm going to tell you why there's nothing that will change my mind about LeBron. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Devin, doing a great job getting us ready for Major League Baseball season with all the music today. It's opening day! Fear not, we're going to have a little bit of fun with it in just a few minutes, a little bit later in the show. As a lifelong diehard Mets fan that I am now, I'm Fitz and Harry. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. Harry Douglas, Atlanta through and through. He's a Braves fan. So I've decided that I'm now a week-long diehard fan of the beloved Mets. So a little later we're going to play a game called Is He a Met? And we're just going to see how things go. But Harry, we're going to keep score, right? And we're going to see how I do every month. We're going to bring it back. We'll bring back Is He a Met throughout the course of the season because, you know, it's early on in the season and I give you my word as a, as, you know, as a friend, as a, as, a, as a brother in arms, to give you my word, I did not do any research at all. So we're just going to see okay, cool. how it, we're going to see how it goes. In the meantime, we were talking just a well, few minutes. Well, hold on for a second though, Fitz. Okay, yes. Talking about in the meantime. Yep. We have an update. Oh. My Atlanta Braves are up one to nothing in the top of the second inning already. The Braves have four hits. Orlando Arcia, 
a guy who took the place of Dansby mm. Swanson, has an RBI. Michael Harris, the second, who won NL Rookie of the Year last year, scored that run. Right now, the bases are loaded with one out in the top of the second. So, already, we're treating the Washington Nationals like a pinata. Okay. I'll, give you, I'll give you all the credit in the world. The, the Nats going to be a good team, right? I'll give you all the credit in the world. Uh, the Mets today have the Marlins. The Marlins can't score on anybody. So uh, the, the Marlins are like Evan. <laughs> they don't know how to score. So, you know, I, I'm not worried about today's game. I feel good about Ooh, the you might, Mets. You might need to be worried because last year, you know, some people said that the Mets shouldn't be worried about the Marlins. And I think down the stretch, the Marlins okay. but that was last year. beat the Mets and helped the Braves win the division. So you might want to be worried. I mean, that, but that was that was before the Mets Ooh. went out and spent basically a third world country's entire income uh, to, to make sure. Stop. I mean, a developing stop. country. Sorry, developing country. I didn't I didn't know the the vernacular, so uh, you know I, apparently it's developing country. My my apologies to anybody. That's that's uh, what we're getting canceled over. Uh, really? Developing yes. country, <laughs> like you. Who knew? I uh, love working with you. It's been a blast. All of it's been been a delight. Uh, so we were talking earlier about the uh, the legacy portion, like who would it mean more for KD or LeBron to win a title this year? And I'm going to be a little Tim Bontemps here and say neither, because here's here's my while. I understand what you're saying. I also think that people are so dug in one way or the other on both of these human beings that nothing will change anybody's mind. I, I, I'm i telling you, if the Lakers went out and won four straight titles, there are still going to be people that will be like, well, Michael never lost in the finals, so there's no way LeBron's better than Michael. He could win over and over and over again, and the fact that Michael Michael's body of work is done, and he didn't lose at all in the finals. So everybody's going to make it suddenly about that one thing, right? And then conversely with KD, if he turns around and wins a title with the Suns, people are still going to say, well, see, he needed a mega team. He needed Booker. He needed Chris Paul. He needed uh, DeAndre Ayton. He needed all of these pieces around him. Like, I just feel like instead of actually coming in and being like, oh, this is pretty cool. Let's see how this develops. Instead, the logic around a lot of the NBA when we talk about these legacies is I've made up my mind this legacy can't be better than the legacy I appreciate, and therefore there's nothing you can do to change it. So I, honestly, either of these guys wins a title this year. I still think that the next week there will be shows on our network that are trashing those accomplishments. Well, I think from LeBron's perspective, it's more, more so Laker Nation that you want to impress at this point. That's fair. Right? When you look at people like Kareem and Wilt and Shaq and Kobe and how those guys were able to be beloved by Laker Nation, not saying LeBron is not loved, but I said be loved, right? So if you're able to bring them another title in the manner of, you know, being at the bottom of the total pole when it when it when it comes to seeding uh it's uh, at one point during this season, you know, having the all-time scoring record this year, if you're able to accomplish all those things in one year, I think Laker Nation and Laker Faithful would be love LeBron James at this point. They love him right now, but I'm talking about those other guys are beloved. Those I mean, other guys are loved at a higher in a higher manner more so than LeBron. But if Katie, if LeBron goes out there and wins a bunch of titles, they're still not going to put him on the Mount Rushmore of Lakers, right? Like it's not like it's suddenly going to change that portion of it. He's not going to be more beloved than Kobe was, or more beloved than Magic was, or more beloved than Kareem was. Like it's like he's sort of stuck. He doesn't have enough runway left yeah, to I forgot accomplish. Magic. How in the hell did I forget Magic I mean, Johnson? You know, well, look, I mean, Dang, I'm. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You start Mr. Johnson. You start putting all of the Man. statues out that they have to put like I don't I just don't know that LeBron has enough runway left in his career 
even if he plays at this level for a long time, to change the mind of so many people that are already dug in. If you're still, if you're willing to come in today and say, hey, I'm writing my book report, but the report is not yet done, then yeah, there's plenty he can do. I just don't feel like there's many people on that mindset. Like you, you squarely, you always joke. I see your point, though. I see your point. LeBron is like your second favorite player of all, or second best player of all time. Would that change if he won a championship this year for you? No. And that's and I'm not no. saying you're wrong. Like, by the way, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just don't say that enough – I'm saying that not enough can change the way anybody feels with just one championship, two championships, three championships. It, it's it's really an impossible situation for both of these men, They just, which is why they shouldn't care what any of us think. They should just go out and win more rings. <laughs> it's Fitz and Harry coming to you live from the Seaport District to Pier 17, brought to you by Chase. We'll keep you updated on all of the opening day action, especially if it's good for the Braves because – that's what this whole show is going to be for the entire summer, which might lead me to drink. But today is a massive day for one NFL player and for one team, and apparently it's irrelevant for one team. We'll tell you about it next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Brought to you by Bank of America. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. NFL Draft. So you ready for the draft? Let's get started. Live from downtown Kansas City, Missouri. The NFL Draft is officially open. It all begins with round one, Thursday, April 27th on ESPN Radio, ESPN, and on ABC. With the first pick. That's right. The NFL Draft is less than a month away, as you just heard. You'll be able to check out every single pick on ABC, ESPN, the NFL Network, April 27th through 29th. I'll add all of our digital platforms to it as uh, Harry and I can announce to the world that we will be hosting uh, the digital shows. The This will be my sixth year hosting the draft for us on the digital platforms. Proud of the work we do there. Hope you'll second screen us. Keep everybody else on too. We need everybody else there, uh, but hope you'll hang out with us for the draft too. We also know that every time we talk draft, uh, we got the bat phone goes out and over the last couple of weeks, Todd McShay has been so kind as to answer it right after people throw. Anthony Richardson had his pro day with Florida today. He threw Todd McShay. Joins us now on Fitz and Harry. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. Todd, appreciate your time. I'll ask you the same question I started with with Will Levis. Uh, what did you think of the way that this went for Anthony? He's just different. You know, it, it, having seen the other three quarterbacks throw, and they, they all you know, were different levels of, of great in their own pro days. But when you, when you watch Anthony, like, he's six foot four. He's 244 pounds. He runs a four four three. Yet he has the upper body flexibility. You know, I'm not saying he's Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, but like those those guys, unlike Will Levis, who's, who's really you know muscular and, and a weight room warrior and all those things, the tightness he has in his upper body. What really stood out to me is just how flexible he is with his upper body. And you know, it, he he made a throw today, rolling to his left, falling off balance, flicking his wrist and driving it 60 yards downfield, like. That's just not normal, right? You don't see many guys who can do that. Like the last throw of his session, without having to strain, just drives the ball 70-plus yards in the air and, and, and hits his receiver with perfect placement. So I hear a lot about the accuracy stuff, and I see it on tape. Like It's a roller coaster watching his tape. Don't, don't get me wrong. And this is just a pro day, and there's no defense, and there's no reading, you know, reading defenses and setting protections. But I think it's more an experience issue 
with Anthony than it is like natural touch. I see the natural touch. I see the trajectory of his throws. I see that his ability to take miles an hour off the fastball to, to lead receivers on shorter routes and intermediate routes when he needs to. What I also see on tape is a guy that gets to the line of scrimmage and doesn't understand the defensive structure sometimes. Doesn't know if he needs a five-man protection or a six-man protection. Doesn't know, you know what he sees pre-snap and how it changes post-snap, what that means in terms of where his eyes should be. So that is with just 13 starts compared to at least 25 starts for C.J. Stroud and, and Bryce Young, who are going to be the top two picks. And compared to the, the guys he's competing with to be QB3 off the board, uh, Will Levis, who's a four-year player at Penn State in Kentucky and the two-year starter in the SEC. Hendon Hooker, who's a five-year player at Virginia Tech and a two-year starter at Tennessee in the SEC. So he just he needs more experience. But the beauty is he's going to be 21 years old as a rookie. Hooker's going to be 26 at the end of his, his rookie year. Levis is going to turn 24 before his rookie year. So even if you have to sit Anthony Richardson for two years before he becomes your full-time starter, he's going to be younger at that point than Hooker and Levis were coming into the league. So uh, to me, he's, he's QB3 in my opinion just because you have the time to develop him. That's a luxury. Now, I will ask you this, though, Todd. Well, first, let me say this. I thought in 2021 he should have been a starting quarterback over Emory Jones, and I know injuries may have, you know, halted that a little bit as well. Yep. But what you've seen today and what we've seen at the Combine, was it enough to possibly shake things up at the top of the draft? Not the very top of the draft. I mean, it's no, it's no secret that the Carolina Panthers are, are deciding between Bryce Young from Alabama and C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. And, and it's also, you know, very poorly kept secret, in my opinion, if, if they're trying to keep it secretive, that Houston's just going to take the other guy. So it's going to be Stroud and Young in whichever order of one and two. What, what Anthony's trying to prove during this pre-draft process, and it's way more than just throwing and, and running at the combine and throwing here at the pro day, it's, you know, the individual meetings. It's going out to dinner last night with the Panthers and Raiders and, you know, getting to know the, the personnel staff and the, the general manager, the owner in the case of the, the Panthers, um, and, and some of these other teams like the Colts picking at four, Seattle picking at five, and they sent Pete Carroll and their GM, John Schneider, here. Um, even go down to 11 at Tennessee, uh, 16 with Washington, 18 with Tampa Bay, showing them his intelligence, showing him that he's capable, showing him, showing them how he learns, um, and, and then just you know bringing them in as one of the 30 visits and and getting to know him for a 24 hour span. So I think that's going to be the important part with Anthony because he is such a projection. You know what he has physically, but how long is it going to take us? to get him to where, you know, that 13 starts is no longer an issue. He's ready to go on an NFL field, diagnose protections, diagnose coverages, and, and play to his max ability, which we all know is exceptional and, and as elite as it gets from a physical tool standpoint. You was at the Will Levis Pro Day. You was at Anthony Richardson's Pro Day. Who had a better one? Anthony Richardson. I, I thought... You know, Will Levis has a big-time arm, and obviously he's mobile and he's got a heart of a lion, and, and you saw him battle through injuries this past year with poor protection and young receivers and a running back who was standout was suspended the first four games. There's a lot to like about Will Levis, but you, know, you see the pictures on Instagram or social media. He's, he is, he's ripped, and that's great. But I saw that, you know, Tim Tebow was a, a weight room warrior, and Brady Quinn was a weight room warrior, and he just has this upper body tightness that leads to inconsistency and missing some layups. And then, you know, protecting the football, 
third worst in terms of interceptions the last two years. Um, and, and the two guys below him, in, in Power 5, I should say, and the two guys below him, Aiden O'Connell from Purdue and um, Sam Hartman from, from Wake Forest, had 300-plus more attempts than he did. So the percentage, you know, the, the ratio of, of attempts versus interceptions with 23, I think it was, the last two years is, is not very good. So there's, there's a lot to work with, you know, with Levis, too. I don't think he's ready to start year one. So then all, all of a sudden when you get him as a starter in year two, now you're talking about a 25-year-old versus bringing in Anthony Richardson, who has greater tools, not as experienced, but give me a couple years to develop him, even maybe just one year. But if it's two, that's fine, too. I, just, I think there's just more upside, and, and you have the luxury of, of being patient because he is so young. Todd, we appreciate you doing this for us, man. It really helps us with all this information. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us. All right, guys. Always fun. I'll talk to you soon. That's Todd McShay giving you the best and the latest right from Anthony Richardson's Pro Day. We'll keep breaking it down. Got a lot to get into, but it is opening day of Major League Baseball of the season. Aaron Judge homered in his first at-bat, and that's not even the most impressive performance so far. Plus, apparently they're telling me things have already gone awry for the Mets. What? How is it even possible? It's me. It's not you. I'm the problem. It's me. More of that coming up. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. 